It's just one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Out of ten, any Americans? Give me a four for my accent. Anybody know who said those words? Yep, pretty confident. Neil Armstrong, that was right. I'm, I, I, it's what you were thinking, if not saying, very obediently keeping quiet behind your masks. Neil Armstrong said those words at 10.56 p.m. Eastern Time on July the 20th, 1969. Some of you may remember that moment. Others of you may not. And there are various different theories on where Neil Armstrong gathered those words. Some people suggest that he was a, a fan of uh, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, and, uh, and that he got those words from Bilbo Baggins, who uttered something quite similar in The Hobbit. That's one possibility. Another, suggests, another theory suggests that uh, he actually lifted them out of a memo that went through NASA around that time. Now, actually, um, Neil Armstrong denied both theories, and this is what he said about those words. What can you say when you step off of something? Well, something about a step. It just sort of evolved during the period that I was doing the procedures of the practice takeoff and the EVA prep, and all the other activities that were on our flight schedule at the time. So the answer, friends, in other words, is far less interesting than we previously supposed. It is just uh, Neil Armstrong wanted to say something about stepping off something. Pretty boring. I think I preferred the other explanations to be truthful. Whatever the source of the words, what they illustrate to us is something fundamental, not just about space flight, but about human nature, human life, even for those of us who intend to keep our feet very much on the earth. And here it is. Sometimes in life, it is the small steps the small decisions that we make, the decisions we maybe don't even consider as we're making them, that have the greatest impact on our lives, that make the biggest difference. Maybe we won't step off lunar module eagle, but still the small steps that we as human beings make can determine and change the destiny in the course of our lives. And we've been in a series in Luke's Gospel. We took a few weeks out to look at our vision as a church and where we're going to be headed in this season to come. But we've been looking at Jesus arriving, landing, if you like. Thank you. Landing, if you like, in um, Palestine and Galilee and teaching and sharing this manifesto of the kingdom, this future vision, this vision that he himself was bringing to, to birth there, enacting a vision for a new world order, one defined by justice and mercy and righteousness and peace. We've seen him preach a good game, and then he begins to deliver it through acts of authority, through teaching, through signs and through wonders, through healing, through bringing life wherever he went. And the response, well, we've seen a response that's marked at times by ambivalence. People just sort of like, huh? You know, that sort of apathetic, huh? We've seen other people really get on board with it. We've seen people following around, crowds, speaking graciously about him. But we've also seen hostility, people trying to lay hold of him. They want him on their own terms. 
But what's interesting is about Luke's gospel so far is that no one yet has become a disciple. No matter how many fans Jesus finds, he's not going to change the world with fans. He's looking for followers. And today we're going to begin a journey through Luke 5, 1 to 11. We're going to be camped out in this small piece of scripture for five or six weeks together. And we're going to call it Jesus Calling. And what we're going to do today and throughout these weeks is to see a man make a small step in response to Jesus. A step that would change his life forever. A small step. More than that though. It wouldn't just change his life. This small step this man makes will change the history of humankind. We are here today because this man made this small step. We're talking about him today because he made this small step. But this small step would change his life. More significant a step than that that Neil Armstrong made in July in 1969. Here's how it happened. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So just to set the scene, Jesus is on the edge of the shoreline. He's preaching. He's a good preacher. And uh, people are gathering around him. They're just, just drawn into the compelling message. It says he's preaching the word of God. This is the message of the kingdom that's been implanted in Jesus' spirit, given to him by his Father. He's preaching uh, God's future, God's possibility into people's lives. And of course, they're drawn in. And they're fascinated by this message. But fascination isn't enough. As I said, Jesus isn't looking to recruit fans. He wants followers. That's what he's after. Now, I love it because... What's interesting about this is we never actually hear the content of his teaching. And we know it's the word of God. And I think Luke's just assuming we've read the earlier part of Luke's gospel. We know that somehow Jesus is probably expounding on this manifesto. But actually, Jesus isn't looking. Luke's not looking to highlight to us here the content of Jesus' teaching. He wants us to see the encounter that's about to follow. And in the middle of his teaching, Jesus sees, it says, he sees at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Jesus sees beyond the immediate. And in, in one sense, what, what he's seeing here is a practical opportunity, a twofold practical opportunity. On the one hand, here's an opportunity for me to create a little bit of social distance. You know, even back then, social distance was sometimes something that uh, people sought. He wanted a little bit of room from the crowd. He didn't want to be crushed or pressed maybe into the water by the crowd, by the sheer weight of numbers. But also, if, you were, uh, if Jesus were on a boat, then uh, what would happen is he was speaking into the shore. It would create a natural amphitheater, give him a bit of elevation, but also create a, a moment where his voice would resound. It would be, be um, amplified. And so Jesus sees, is looking for this opportunity. And he sees these boats that were left there, it says, by the fishermen who were washing their nets. You see, Jesus isn't simply looking to communicate a message to a crowd. He's looking to encounter a man. Jesus isn't looking for the praise of the public. He's not interested in a boat to sit in. He's looking for the heart of a person. And he sees, he sees this person. He sees his, this person just caught in the mundane activity of his day-to-day 
He sees him washing his nets. You see, they, this person and his friend, uh, Simon and his friends, they've been out all night. They're exhausted. They've been fishing, and, and the nets require cleaning. They'd pick up overnight all kinds of detritus. Who knows? A, 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 a boot, uh, I don't know, a rusty old saw or hammer that had been thrown in, uh, uh, a shopping trolley. A plastic bag, we don't know, we can only hypothesize, but the nets need cleaning. And these exhausted business partners are cleaning them. And Jesus, in the middle of that moment of mundane nothingness, the ordinariness of it all, he approaches them. He lessens the distance between himself and them. He makes the first move. And this is such an obvious point, but I really want to dwell here because it's so fundamental to everything we're about as followers of Jesus or as people who are considering becoming followers of Jesus because we make, we we turn this around so quickly, so easily, and so consistently in the church. I do. We can become so confused on this point. You know, people outside the church and people inside the church, I think it's easy for us to think that the reason we got here or the reason that people come to church on a Sunday is because they're the kinds of people who like that sort of thing. They like a little bit of religion. They like a crutch. They like something to do on a Sunday and they're not very good at golf. Or they don't like Sunday afternoon football on Sky Sports or uh, whatever other channel it might be on. They're a little bit bored. Maybe they're a little bit boring. And they like something structured and ordered. They haven't got on board with that whole secular thing. But that's not what it is at all. People don't come to church. You're you're not here today because you came up with the idea. You may think that's what happened, but it isn't at all what happened. You didn't come here. You're not watching this live now or later because you came up with the idea. You're here because someone approached you. Jesus approached you in truth. And it is a truth we often forget. The only reason we come to follow Jesus or even consider following Jesus and then make any progress in the journey of discipleship is because he moved toward us and he gave us an offer that was too good to refuse. He said, if you give me your life, your broken life, with its good bits and its bad bits and its boring bits, you give me all of that, your sin and your darkness and the stuff that's so dark you haven't even considered it yourself. You give me all of that. I will give you all of my life. I will give you all of my life. I will give you my justice. I will give you my peace. I will give you my joy. I will give you my forgiveness. I will give you the life of God himself, Father, Son of Tri- and Holy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you. I did go to theological college. It was a while ago. I'll give you that, this beautiful exchange. And we took him up on the offer. That's why we're here. And that means that you don't have to have it together to follow him. It means that the reason you're following is because you know you don't have it together. It means that whatever happened in your past, whatever's happening in your present, whatever will happen in your future, there's a place for you in the kingdom. Because he's willing to exchange his life for your life. Because he comes to you. And he doesn't wait for you to come to him. (sighs) 
And so Jesus approaches Simon, but he doesn't stop there. He's a question to ask him. Look at this with me. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. And he asked him, put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And this is where I want us to land today. Because it's, it's so profoundly beautiful what Jesus does as he approaches Simon. He says to him, Simon, Simon, the, 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 the fisherman, the simple man who's exhausted because of his work overnight, his fruitless, as we will find out, work overnight. He approaches him, he bridges the gap toward him, and then he asks him a simple, simple question. Simon, can I borrow your boat? I know you're tired, but can I use your boat? Can you put this boat out a little bit from the shore? It's just a small request. Nothing too troubling, nothing too trifling, but we can just assume that Simon, if he's anything like me, is like, oh, really? Jesus. Really? Oh, okay. I mean, the crowds are here. I look like a bad guy if I don't do this. Business will stall if I get bad PR like that. Okay. It's one small step for man. It's one small step for man. And on those Simon, whose name, as we know, will become Peter, has no clue about it at this stage. This tiny moment of obedience opens the way to the most extraordinary encounter that will change not only his life, but the lives of the men and the women who will meet Jesus in the pages of this book and ever since. This moment of obedience, it is on this moment of obedience and those after that God builds his kingdom, that he builds his church. This is where the story of a, a day's preaching becomes a life-changing encounter with a young man, potentially in his teens, whose faltering obedience will become the foundation of the movement that Jesus has announced. It's where a relationship begins that will change the lives of both men. Both men. And change the world around. And this moment of obedience is one of the reasons we're here today. Decisions. We think life is defined by the big decisions. And look, sometimes it is. But the big decisions come because we've made small decisions. Small decisions. Small steps for men. Small steps for women. And those small steps create the possibility for big decisions to be made. And what if today is a moment for you to make a small step? Let me say it differently. Today is the moment for you to make a small step. And I don't care how old you are. I don't care. Some of you are in your teens. Don't think that it's too early for you to make a small step. Simon was probably in his teens, possibly his mid-teens, when he made this step. Children in the room, it is not too early for you to make a small step. Those of you who are in your later years, your, your 40s, <laughs> your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, 
your 90s. It is not late for you to take a small step. What if today is a momentous day, not for a lunar landing, but for a heart returning? What if today is that moment? Because if we've learned anything from the story, it's there's no work required on our side to prepare us to make that step. He's approaching us. He's come to us. He begins the adventure of discipleship. It's, it's with him. And all we need to do is respond. And that's how it happened for you. And you may not remember it, but it is how it happened. You didn't get here on your own strength, on your own smarts, on your own wisdom. You got here because he extended the hand of grace to you. Something happened that made you ask questions about your future, about your commitments. Maybe it was the kindness of a friend or a stranger. Maybe it was an invitation to church, the birth of a child that caused you to wonder. A dream at night, a deep longing in your soul, a divorce, a death, a pandemic. He comes to us in different ways. But he has the same request for all of us, and here it is. Simon, put out a little from the shore. Miles, put out a little from the shore. Rachel, Brody, put out a little from Polly. Put out a little from the shore. Kim, Tony, put out a little from the shore. Just a little move. What step, what simple step is he asking from you today? It may only be a small step at this point, but even in the smallest and the seemingly insignificance of it, I'm telling you today, there is such power for transformation if it's a step to him. If it's a step toward him, there is power contained within small steps to create big transformations. Didn't chaos theory teach us that? If nothing else, what about if it's committing to church for six weeks? Because if Simon's example is any guide to us, we can be assured that these small steps can have a great harvest for us. What if it means you're picking up the phone, praying a prayer, offering a gift, confessing your need or your sin, saying sorry to someone you've wronged, receiving forgiveness for the first time? Whatever it is, I urge you today, ask him and respond. And let's pray.